1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. God God has been addressing the nation of Israel before they enter to conquer the promised land. God, speaking through Moses, reminded the people that they were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. They were to not forget God's civil and ceremonial laws when dwelling in the land. Now, God will go into some laws concerning those that were to enter the tabernacle. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1.
0: Remember the whole theme of the book of Deuteronomy is loving God supremely? That's what was necessary if Israel was going to be successful, not just in conquering the promised land, but being prospered in the promised land when they settled in there. And so Moses talked to them first at the beginning of the book, telling them all the awesome things God had done to show them how much they were loved by him. And then in light of that, he calls them to respond. He says, now, Israel, I'm not going in with you. And if you're going to go in and be successful and prosper, you need to love the Lord back. He has loved you first. Now love him back and love him supremely with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And so he has been teaching them what it means to love God. We learned that loving God is is about obeying God. Jesus said the same thing. If you love me, keep my commandments. He is giving them instructions, both personally and nationally, to show them how they can love God supremely. We saw this morning when we studied the parable of the Good Samaritan that we need to love our neighbors instead of trying to figure out who's worthy of that love. God has set his love on us and he calls us to do the same for others. And while that's a clear answer for our individual lives, how was the nation of Israel supposed to handle neighbors? How were they supposed to handle worship if they had a neighbor that wanted to live in their country, but they were pagan, they had different ideas about God? How were they to handle that? Or how were they to handle warfare with another nation? Or how were they to handle neighbors who disobeyed God? How were they to show proper respect to each other's property? So as Moses addresses these situations that really all encompass laws for your neighbors, we're going to see some principles that should shape our attitude toward our neighbor in difficult situations. Too. So chapter 23, we begin in verse 1, and it starts off with a bang. He that is wounded in the stones or has his privy members cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. So we checked everyone before they came in today. Yeah. We start off, and it's actually the first six verses cover who is not allowed to come into the tabernacle to worship, and it starts off by saying an, an emasculated man. Wounded in the stones means someone who's had their genitals either crushed by choice, that would be like a eunuch. You know, you think you got to work hard for that promotion? This would be someone who wanted that close position with a king, a trusted advisor, a trusted individual. You have to realize it's a little bit different today than it was back then. Back then, everything was about succession. You know, you always wanted to pass it on to your kids, and so anyone who had children who was a close advisor was always a threat to you if you were a ruler. The closest advisors were almost always made eunuchs. It's like, we don't know if Daniel was made a eunuch, but it's very unlikely that he wasn't because to be that close to King Nebuchadnezzar means they probably put him through that process because you didn't want anyone thinking, yeah, I can take over this kingdom and then pass it on to my son who passed it on to his son. It was just a way that they felt things were secure. They couldn't be bribed with leadership or future positions because you've already taken away the ability to pass it on to anyone else. And so the idea here is that if someone has done that, whether by choice or just happened by chance, they would not be able to enter the congregation of the Lord. You know, if they had castrated themselves, they could not enter into the tabernacle. The phrase shall not enter is emphatic in the Hebrew, which means they can never enter into the tabernacle. To enter into the tabernacle, of course, it refers to worship. The idea of, of coming close to the Lord's presence. Now, why would that be an issue? Why would that be a problem? Well, the concept is that this person is barred from fellowshipping with the Lord because the message of the old covenant is that God is perfect. God is holy. And if you are not perfect and holy, you need to stay away for your own safety and all imperfections. If you were sick, you couldn't come to the tabernacle because the idea there is that that was never part of God's original plan. Sickness, disease, all of that was never part of God's original plan. When people bring up the question, are people sick because of sin? Yeah, the answer is yes. Now, usually when people mean that is they, are they sick because of their specific sin? Like is God judging them or punishing them? No. I mean, God does do that sometimes where he's disciplined, someone or sometimes he's brought judgment and they become ill because of their rebellion or their stubbornness or their sin yes that can happen i had a crazy question a young person asked me a really young person asked me how you get aids and i was like yeah, ask your mom and dad why are you asking me I'm not answering that. But I thought to myself, generally, the only way you get that is by doing something you shouldn't be doing with someone you shouldn't be doing it with. So the idea behind these things is, yes, all of it is a result of sin somehow. Even if God's not judging me or dealing with me or disciplining me, we live in a fallen world. God didn't design this world to have sickness and pain and sorrow. He didn't design it that way. None of that, that was a reflection of this world, could enter a place that was supposed to emulate the holy of holies in heaven. It was supposed to emulate the very throne of God. Remember how Isaiah responded when he had the vision of the Lord he said I saw the Lord and his train filled the temple and the angels are crying holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come they're crying out his holiness and what does Jeremiah say I'm a dead man woe is me disaster is coming to me I am undone for I'm a man of unclean lips but also what was his problem I'm amidst a people of unclean lips even if I wasn't a man of unclean lips I've been defiled by my people We just don't fully understand just how holy God is. And so any imperfection could not come to the tabernacle. As we studied through Leviticus and through Exodus, that's why the high priest had to wear all these special things. Because when God looked at him, he would see the mitre that said holiness unto the Lord, the turban that would add the plate that said holiness unto the Lord. He would see the breastplate that had been sprinkled and spattered with, you know, the blood of atonement. He would see all these things that would cover the high priest's sin and take away any defilement that came from interacting with a sinful people. We just don't realize how holy God is. People sometimes mention to me and they say, I just don't understand hell. I don't get it. And and I say, you probably don't understand it or have a hard time comprehending hell because you don't comprehend God's holiness. If we understood fully how holy God was, we would probably think God should probably do something worse than hell. The idea here is God is holy, you need to stay away for your own safety. God doesn't hate people who this has happened to, but the idea here is that there's a taint there that the Lord's saying, you can't come close to me, otherwise it's an imperfection. This is a place that's supposed to reflect perfection. And so they had to stay away. It doesn't mean they couldn't worship the Lord, it doesn't mean they couldn't have a relationship with the Lord, but they had to stay away from the tabernacle for their own safety. The second group who was not allowed to come into the tabernacle was someone who was born illegitimately. It says the King James, a bastard, shall not enter into the congregation of the the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. The word here means one who is born of a forbidden relationship or a forbidden marriage. So it refers to both someone who's born out of wedlock, someone who'd be born out of incest, someone who's where they had one parent who was not a Jew, where one was a Jew and one was a pagan, all of those would be debarred from coming to the tabernacle. And again, because they were the byproduct or they were something that came about from something that was not the way God designed it to be. Now, when we think about that for a moment, there is some New Testament application to that in the sense that God only has legitimate children, right? That God doesn't have any illegitimate children. He's not unfaithful to his bride. Jesus is not unfaithful to his bride, nor does God just allow anyone to come in however they want. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you want to open the door, I'll come in, I'll sup with you, I'll dine with you, I'll have fellowship with you. He doesn't just say, well, come however you want, you know? He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the gospel. I mean, that is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way of doing things. You might be thinking about this and going, I've got some struggles in some of these areas. I'm not reproductive right now. Does that mean I'm like a second-class Christian? No, not at all. That's not the case at all. You weren't even a second-class Jew. But the idea was is they couldn't come to the tabernacle. And the same was true for someone who was born from this forbidden relationship because, again, it was a reminder of imperfection. When we get to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, the holiday of Yom Kippur just came about. And of course, Yom Kippur, Yom Day, Kaphar, or Kapar, Kippur is atonement, day of atonement. And that's one of the high holy days for, for Judaism. And it's a day where they come and, and they want to make sure things are right with God. And in the Old Testament, that holiday was set up for that purpose where they would afflict their souls and they would want to make sure that they are right with the Lord. And so in this day of atonement, they would come and, and they would have the ceremony where they would have one goat that would be killed to pay the price of the sins and then one goat would go free. He'd be the scapegoat. And the idea was is as the goat went free, Free. God had forgiven our sins and set us free. And that's a beautiful thing, right? But guess what happened the next day? you would start ticking the calendar again because you would know you were going to blow it again and you'd have to do the Day of Atonement all over again. And you do it every year, every year, every year. And Hebrews 10 talks about that. How if the blood of animals could cleanse our sin, could wash away our sin, our consciences would be clean and we would need to do the Day of Atonement over and over again. We would need to bring these sacrifices over and over again. Those were reminders, in fact. It would come again and there'd be a reminder that I'm going to be here again next year because I know I'm going to blow it again next year and I need to take care of that. The beautiful thing about the cross is that we just apply the blood every time. I don't have to have new sacrifices before God. I don't have to come with this guilty conscience going, God, I, I know I'm saved, but I blew it again. And I don't even know if you love me or if you'll accept me. I could come because Jesus' sacrifice does give me a clean conscience. Amen. So the idea here is there could be nothing that reminded of imperfection because they already had enough of those reminders. And so God could not be reminded of imperfection because God would have to judge that imperfection. Verse three, the others who were not allowed was a Moabite or an Ammonite. This is an Ammonite or a Moabite. They shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. Shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever? The phrase 10th generation is a Hebrew idiom for forever. The idea is under the 10th generation. You can't even imagine that. You could never live to that. And so the idea is that it's just, that's how it goes. And why was it? Well, it says, because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor of Pethor, of mesopotamia to curse you now we see here the prohibition for these two groups is it's eternal they could never enter into the tabernacle i I don't know what i am but i know my name would have been added to that list (laughs) i'm not a full-blooded jew and i didn't know the lord i didn't come into the world knowing the lord and so i would have been added to this list too so aren't you glad that we don't go to a tabernacle anymore we go right to the, the father through christ and we can be accepted no matter what our background is the phrase here, because they met you not with bread and water in the way, when they left Egypt, the Lord says, the reason I am keeping these people from my tabernacle is because they wanted to subdue or conquer you. God is so harsh with these two nations because the last time Israel fellowshiped with them, what happened? Last time Israel brought them in, allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do and gave them equal access, what happened? Well, remember they sent all the girls into the camp and they invited the girls, invited the boys to come into the Baal worship temple. And they ended up having all these sexual rites and and gross activities that they did that defiled themselves and blasphemed the Lord. See, the Moabites, through Balaam's urging, tricked Israel since God wouldn't judge them, since God wouldn't let Balaam curse the people of Israel. Balaam said, listen, I can't curse them, but if you get them to sin, God will deal with them. And so because they tricked Israel, they they led them astray. God says, you know what? Those folks, you cannot have any tolerance for that. You know, the Bible says that when we have someone who's here who's spreading heresy, leading people astray, it says you're supposed to correct them. We don't kick them out right away, we correct them, you know? And, and, And you talk to them, you say, hey, that's off. You know, what you're saying to this person's off and you're leading them astray. But if they persist in that, the Bible says, mark them, mark them. Those that cause divisions in the body of Christ, point them out so that no one else can stumble thereby. And it says, put them out of the church. Paul says they put out Alexander and Hymenaeus because they'd shipwreck their faith by denying the resurrection. They denied that there was a resurrection and Paul put them out of the church. They may have been co-laborers with him. They may have been his worship leader. I don't know. I don't know what these guys did. The Bible doesn't tell us what they did. They had some type of influence though because they were teaching other people that there was no resurrection and Paul had to put them out of the church. When we look at this and we see this was for their safety that these pagans who not only just believed something different, but they were calculated in leading the people of Israel Astray. The Lord says they can't just come and walk into my house. They can't do that at all. What's interesting is we know that God did allow a Moabite to come into the house because we have a whole book of the Bible about her. Her name's Ruth. Now, here's the kicker. We read all these things. And we get to this one, and it's hard because we think, well, this is forever. This isn't just like like a a physical attribute that would be remind of the fall and therefore couldn't be in a perfect place that was supposed to reflect heaven. Like, this is a people group. You know, it's got racist or bias or prejudice or whatever. No, 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 no. I can promise you this. If any Moabite or any Ammonite repented and said, I want to follow the Lord, he would let him into the tabernacle because we know he did with Ruth. Technically, David is part Moabite, right? And we know that he went into the tabernacle. David who said, oh, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord. How lovely are your courts. Better is one day there than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than do anything else. David loved it there. He loved being with the Lord. He loved being in the tabernacle. It was something that was special to him and he's part Moabite. So the idea here is, we look at this, it's not that God made this hard and fast rule that could never, ever be broken. But the idea is for the Ammonite and the Boabite who persist in their idolatry, he says, no, 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 no. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. He says, Israel, you need to protect yourself. You can't let them have that type of influence and come into the tabernacle. Now we look here in verse five and look at what the Lord reminds them. Moses reminds them of how the Lord took care of them. Even though these people tried to trick them, these people tried to get God to judge them. These people tried to get them to go astray. Moses reminds me and he says, nevertheless, the Lord your God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing unto you because the Lord your God loved you. I love that. How many times in the Bible do we see God taking those things which Satan means to be a curse to us and then using them for our good? right? And the Lord says, no, I didn't let him curse you. I blessed you because, it's interesting the word there, because, it means that, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's a weird word in the Hebrew, but it refers to the idea of branding. He says, because I have branded you, I've marked you as mine. We know in the book of Isaiah that the Lord says, I've graven you in my hands, right? Jesus, when he was nailed to the cross, he testified forever, literally. You know, we sing that song, This is the nails in your hands, the nails in your feet, they tell me how much you love me. The scars in your brow, they tell me how you bore so much shame to love me. And when the heavens pass away, all your scars will still remain. John, who sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, he says, I saw him as a lamb having been slain. He sees the scars. Jesus still has the scars after he rises from the dead. All of those things will serve as reminders where he will say to us forever, as we say in that song, forever they will say, just how much you love me. The Lord here, he says, because I've branded you, I have set my mark upon you. You are mine. God has completely set his affection on us and it will never change. The Lord has branded you with his love. You belong to him and his affection and devotion for you will never dim. Do you know that in your life? Do you know that he loves you and it will never dim? And do you realize that's why he can bless you each and every day? Not because you're so good. You know, it's not because the Lord's like, well, you know, Will, he's been doing a pretty good job. He's doing an okay job loving his wife. He's not a deadbeat dad anymore. We'll bless him. We'll let him get that nice thing he wants. Lord he loves us and that's why he blesses us just like he did with Israel now the severity of this prohibition the Lord says you shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever it means you shall not make treaties with them don't enter into any agreements with them forever you know you are perpetually on guard with these people groups because they tried to trick you now can I tell you something People, a lot of times when I'm doing counseling, whether it's with kids and their parents, if they've got some conflict there or it's a married couple, they've got some conflict there. When there's been a failure, moral failure in some way or trust broken, the person will frequently say over time as we're trying to work through things and they say, well, they just don't trust me anymore. And I have to look at them and say, you know, forgiveness is something that God commands us all to give. We don't have an option to not forgive. I said, we don't earn forgiveness. I said, but trust is something you earn. Trust isn't something given freely. Trust is something you earn. And if you have violated trust, you have to earn it back. You know, I have had times when I have violated trust with my kids, or I've lost my temper, or I've been unkind to them, and I, I've had to earn that back. There are times when my kids will, because I'm an intense individual, and I, I've been a while since I've lost my temper at them. You can ask my wife. She'll let you know the last time. I know what I've been doing a little bit because they'll flinch when you kind of raise your voice. I think there's no more discouraging thing to see my own child flinch when I get excited about something or I get kind of emotional about something because I think I've, I've done that. I've broken trust somehow. And I I have to go to them and say, listen, I'm sorry. I I broke trust with you and I need you to forgive me. I don't don't want you to ever be scared of daddy. They shouldn't be. Well, let me rephrase that. They should be, but you know what I'm talking about. Trust is something you earn. And sometimes some decisions you make take a long time to earn that trust back. So be careful with the decisions you make. These guys deceived the nation of Israel to the point where they were trying to wipe them out. Pretending to be friends. That's something that takes a while to earn back trust. And so the Lord says, he says, I don't want you to trust them. He says, don't make any treaties with them, any deals with them. Now, verse seven, he says, I don't want you to treat the Edomites that way though. He says, you shall not abhor an Edomite for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian either. That's interesting because the Egyptians you'd think are worse than the Ammonites and the Moabites. It's almost like the Lord says, yeah, but at least they're upfront with it. The Lord actually tells us why here. He says, because you were a stranger in his land. Just as trust broken especially if it's a heavy violation of trust, takes a long time to earn back. When you have been faithful to help somebody out, that trust goes a long way, doesn't it? When someone's really been good to you and helped you out, even though Egypt enslaved Israel later on, they were good to Jacob, they were good to his family. And for successive generations until that Pharaoh died, Egypt blessed the people of Israel. And God remembered that, even though later on they mistreated them. And so the Lord says for them, he says, I don't want you to hate them. I don't want you to, the word they're abhor, it means to behave in a way that you distance yourself from them. He says, I don't want you to treat them like that. And he says, the children that are begotten, verse eight of them, they can enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation when they've proven it over less time. You know, they don't need as long of a time to prove that trust. They can't come in right away because they come from a pagan background, but eventually they can come into my tabernacle. They can be just like a Jew and worship me there, bring offerings there and come to my presence. But they need to kind of prove that they're genuine over that time before you let them do that. That's interesting because when you talk about the church, Paul talked about not laying hands on a novice, not laying hands on a new believer and thrusting them to leadership. I grew up in the 80s. In the 80s, it was the big thing was find a popular athlete or celebrity who got saved and give them every spotlight you can. And what happened half the time? these people fell. Bob Dylan got saved and he was like, yeah, let's put him out there in front of everybody. And she got this baby believer who's like telling all Christians how they're supposed to live their lives. I don't know about you, but I do not consult my nine-year-old. No, I don't say, hey, listen, we've got this problem with the bills. You know, and I've got this running with a person at work, whatever. Pastor Tom's, you know, he's treating me mean again. You know, what do I do? I don't ask my nine-year-old what to do about that. And so we just had this idea. It's so funny. The church in the States is especially like this. We just so want to be accepted. We want people to love us. You know? We want people to embrace us. We do good things, you know, and we want everybody to like us. And when we don't, we get mad. And, and the Lord says, don't be surprised when men shall hate you for my name's sake. It's, it comes with the territory. So we thrust all these baby believers into the spotlight. You know, it's almost like the Lord would say to us all throughout his word, we shouldn't do things like that. Let them kind of earn that trust. Let them kind of over time build up some faithfulness that you could see it over time and you can feel like, hey, this is somebody we can put out there. Because when someone like that falls, just as public as their conversion can be and helpful and encouraging as that can be, it can be equally or even more so destructive when they struggle or when they fall. Now, these are the folks who can't enter the tabernacle. We come down to verse 9, and we've got some hygienic principles when you've got to go to war. Verse 9, it says, when the host goes forth against your enemies. So he says, you're going to have enemies sometimes. The army's going to have to go out. So in dealing with those neighbors, these are not your good neighbors. These are the neighbors that are doing more than just shooting off fireworks at 3 a.m. These are the neighbors that want to kill you. And so when you've got to go forth against your enemies, he says, then you need to make sure you keep yourself from Every wicked thing. The danger is when they would go out to war is to become like their enemy. And, and the Lord says, I don't want you to do that. The word there, keep, means to be on your guard, to exercise great care in fulfilling your obligations. In other words, when you're in enemy territory, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Now, you know, we have a sign over there that says you're now entering the mission field, right? Well, you're also entering the enemy's territory. <laughs> now, what's our job? Our job is to take back ground from the enemy, right? To knock down hell gates. Talks about how the, the violent take that ground, you know. Well, we've got to take that ground too. But we don't do it like they do it. We need to remember who we are when we're in enemy territory. We're not to act like them. We're not to respond like them. You know, we're not to even wage warfare like them. The word there for a wicked thing, it means that which is just not morally pure, not morally good. That which is not according to God's standards. And so the idea is when you're out there and you're fighting, you need to still be who you're supposed to be. You need to still be who you're supposed to be. You know, people have asked me, what if someone broke into your home? What would you do to them? I would hurt them. And then I would tell them about Jesus while they were incapacitated. Because I don't know if I could kill somebody. I have great respect for those who work in the military and and those who work in the armed forces because I know at any moment they have to make that decision. That would be very hard for me to end somebody's life. I would never have a problem defending my family. But if that person was defenseless and disarmed, I would have a difficulty putting them down, you know, because I realize. It's very likely they're going into a crisis eternity. I know it's necessary. I know the Bible says. I'm not disagreeing with the Bible. I'm just telling you my personal struggle. But I would tell them about Jesus. (laughs) I have great respect to some of the officers who have arrested or, or shot or injured folks because they were doing wickedness. And then they've gone and visited them in the jail and said, hey, I want to check on you and see how you're doing. I have amazing respect for that because... They're showing love to their enemy. And the Lord, he tells them, he says, when you go out there, he says, you remember who you are. You have to fight. You have to defend your people. You have to do the right thing. But you remember who you are and you do the right thing in every way, not just in defending your people.
1: God is a holy and distinct God. There is none like him. Of our own abilities, we are not able to stand before God in all his splendor and might. But the beauty of grace is that it is not left up to us to save ourselves. Jesus took on the complete punishment we deserved so that now there is nothing that will hinder us from coming to God's merciful and loving presence. All we must do is turn to Him. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel, Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, Walk and live in the Word.